0: You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday evening. Time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. How's everybody doing? My guest tonight, joining us uh, via Skype, Mary Ramsey from 10,000 Maniacs, as well as many other projects we'll talk about tonight. Um, Mary, how you doing? Thanks for coming on.
1: I'm doing very well. How are you, Alex?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for asking. Where are you joining us from tonight?
1: Um, Buffalo, New York.
0: Oh, you're back home, man. We eh? Yeah, we're
1: just having our usual little snowstorms. You guys get those every once in a while,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. I I was in Buffalo. I went to Buffalo for the first time a year ago. I saw a band uh called This Day and Age at the Town Ballroom, and I was amazed okay. at the amount of snow that you guys had. We hadn't we didn't have a whole lot at that point. That was in December, and uh and you guys had a whole bunch, so you got that lake effect yeah. snow going on?
1: Oh yeah, we do. We do. It's uh it's wonderful in in December and around Christmas time and then when get at the end of February it's kind of uh becomes a little uh, harder to accept, but
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. We we got snow this morning and I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this. This is we could the snow could end after Christmas as far as I'm concerned. Um Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I start these interviews off with the exact same question every time. That question is, where were you born?
1: Uh, Washington, D.C.
0: Okay. And uh, I know that you grew up in Buffalo. So how much time did you spend in Washington, D.C. after you were born there then?
1: Well, we were. I was born in D.C. My dad um, was a graduate student at the University of Maryland. He actually grew up in Silver Spring. And... Um, we were living there, and then he got a job. Um, we moved around a little bit. He got a job at, at a college in Ohio. And then we ended up moving to Fredonia, New York, which is an hour south of Buffalo in um, in the 70s. And, um, and that's where I spent most of my childhood. We lived in uh, Greenbelt, Maryland for about, I don't know how many years, six, seven years. And maybe when I was eight or nine, we moved to um, Fredonia, New York.
0: Okay, so you you moved around a little bit, but ended up settling in uh, upstate New York. Um, you said your dad, yeah, e- your dad uh, did he he was a professor or uh, what did he do? You, you said he-
1: yeah, he was the professor at Fredonia, SUNY Fredonia, which is um, State University at of uh, New York at Fredonia. Um, he was an English professor. Oh,
0: okay. And
1: um, yeah, so when we moved to Fredonia, I um, my older sister. you were, I think there's a question that you can ask later on that. My older sister started on violin when she was two years older than I, um, and when I was a little girl, I, I wanted to be just like her, <laughs> uh. and so she started to play violin, and we started on the Suzuki Method, um, and so that was one of the reasons I chose violin, because I heard her playing, and I wanted to do what she was doing.
0: So she, you, were, you, and you were five when you started, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she was seven and you were five. That's a very early start on an, on an instrument like that. Um, did you take to it right away? Well, yeah.
1: yeah. You know, I, she probably even was six and I, I probably watched her when I was four. Saying, um, yeah, it you know part of that whole Suzuki method is to, to get music to kids when they're pretty young or they, they even start them as young as three. Um, um, uh, Um, It's a a concept that just Dr. Suzuki. His philosophy was that that learning music, you want to learn it sort of the way we learn to speak. We hear and then we learn to speak. And so it's kind of like developing the the musical ear, and then not worrying about reading music or anything in the beginning. Just kind of learning the fundamentals of how to hold the instrument and and um, get control over it. Um, So yeah, that's what we started on.
0: Um, so and my
1: mother actually had to play. We all shared a quarter size violin. My mom was playing this teeny little violin because that was part of it just to, get, to have parental uh, involvement.
0: Oh, really? So it was a family uh, thing then.
1: It kind of did. Yeah, it became that.
0: Are you? Uh, is it just you and your sister? Do you have any other siblings?
1: I've got another. Uh, I've got another sister and a brother, and then I've got step siblings. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of us.
0: Wow, did, and did they all end up playing various instruments too, or was it just the two you and your uh, older sister?
1: Well, we all, you know, my my parents, my mom sings, my mom sang a lot um, and um, a musical ear, and then my my dad, you know, has a really nice speaking voice and it's like sung and then it was, was encouraged. You know, the arts were encouraged in our house, and so my yeah, you know, my older sister she played violin, and then I played violin, and then I switched to viola when I went to college or when I was in high school. Um, and my other sister played violin a little bit and played guitar, and we all had a little bit of piano. And then my brother played upright bass for a while. Um, he's kind of dabbled with it, but I, I know that certainly my older sister and I stuck with it in terms of choosing it as what we studied in college.
0: Why did your sister? Yeah. Because you you picked violin because your sister picked violin. Why did your sister pick violin? Why Why did she gravitate towards that instrument?
1: You know. I don't really know. I should ask her. She'd be very th- thrilled. Um, and she's actually, a, um, she plays with a, a folk uh, Maine folk artist named David Mallet. He um, he wrote a song called the Garden Song that some people know. Um, anyways, um, I don't. I bet. I really don't know. That's a story. There's so many family stories that uh, that need to be asked. I guess now we right. have to be one of them. Well, yeah, I mean I think a lot of it is that the the violin is very much like the human voice, and there's um I think everybody in our family i mean my my grandfather, my mother's father, who was from the netherlands he he had played it a little bit as a child. Um, maybe that was why I don't know
0: you said the violin's uh, similar to the human voice did you when did you start singing was it was it soon after you started playing?
1: I was singing before that. I think, you know, kids sing. You hear songs on TV, or you hear songs, you know, nursery rhymes, and then there's some. We went to church, so there was singing there. And I, my, I think my mother sang a lot, just around us. Uh, so I, 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 I know that I sang before I. I don't know how well, but I sang before I started to play violin.
0: When did you realize that like you could you could sing well? Like when you you noticed people were like, "Hey, Mary, you got a you got a nice voice," or you know, started complimenting um, you.
1: I know that I was able to. I sang in, in school, choruses, and I did some like little competitions. I, I was focusing more in, in school, like in junior high school and high school, on my violin and viola. But I, I participated in that and i had some solo so yeah i suppose that was where i got encouragement and um i also liked it i like doing it um but i would say in college i focused mostly on my viola studies
0: yeah um, when so you, you did violin through through your childhood and adolescence then um and then you started viola mm-hmm. you said in high school um what yeah. <laughs> what's the difference between violin and viola <laughs>
1: Well, um, I could t- say it, that uh, the viola burns longer, uh, but that's not a bad joke. Um, the vi- <laughs> viola and violin they they share three strings. The violin has an E A D G. Viola has an A E D and oh, sorry, oh my gosh, A D G and C string. So the so the three middle strings are shared. The violin has the upper register, <clears throat> and then the viola has the lower C. And then when I play with it, since I was a Maniacs, I have a five string electric, so it spans both ranges.
0: Uh, (laughs) um, So, uh, how many many violins and violas do you own now after playing for so long?
1: Oh, I only have one viola. And I have like one, I have two violins and I have a couple of electrics. I don't have a lot. I got one viola, but the only viola I bought it in. I got it um, in college, and I just kept with it and liked it. I'd love to have bought a lot, but I I would have to win the lottery, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, well, uh, so you play uh, you played in a lot of symphonies and philharmonics. You were involved with uh, quite a few of those. Um, could you talk about doing that? And was that mostly when you were a kid, or I mean, how did, how did that work?
1: Um well i studied well, like in most public schools there's orchestras and uh, i I learned how to read music and then there was um learned it through private instruction but also in orchestras school orchestras and then i um i was interested in it you know for me when i went to college i, I got a job i got um accepted into the Erie Airy- Philharmonic, which helped supplement my my cost of of college room and board way back when and it was really a great experience it was like part of my whole education in, in, in at the university because I got to play a lot of different kinds of music, not only classical but they'd have pops concerts and I was playing with people who were seasoned players and um, and then once you can start to do that, when, you know, if you have that kind of most classical players have that skill, it's, it's a way to, to make money freelancing so you do different kinds of you know, some people, like I have friends here in Buffalo that play whenever touring acts come to, to our Shays Theater, like um, there's a Harry Potter thing my friend is playing in, so you get hired for that stuff, you know, um, if you don't, or or you can get a job in an orchestra. Um, my jobs with orchestras were more temporary, meaning I, when I lived in California, I did what was called the Philharmonic Freeway, I'd get hired and I'd drive like, to Fresno or I'd drive to Santa Cruz or wherever. And play these orchestras there.
0: Well, so you were a so hired gun then for a number of years, starting in college. Yeah,
1: you know, it's, it's being a freelance musician, Um, and uh, so I was glad that I had that. I had that skill from starting so young and learning orchestral repertoire.
0: Yeah. How did, cause I mean, that's a lot of classical music and that's, that's quite a bit different from the, the, you know, the, the rock music, the alternative rock that you yeah. ended up, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, being known for. And uh, what, uh, so how did you make that transition then? I mean, were you, had you always been a fan of rock music and you kind of wanted to, to incorporate that into your playing or, or did that come later to tell us about that?
1: Well, I think that I always wanted to, I, I, I found the kind of, Class when i was studying it, at college I, I was more of a, a um how do you say there's the people who are technical geniuses and and there are other people that are more like do more expressive and creative and there are people that have both of them that I <laughs> say oh my god and i you know i can do technical things but i think my my, my strong point is just was just my tone and my viol and my vibrato and that, that kind of thing that was um was what was by kind of my signature. And um I was always interested in poetry and I liked I liked what was going on outside of just the classical world, you know. Um, and I I would listen to, you know, I always listened to The Beatles, Joni Mitchell, um and these different folk songwriters, Bob Dylan, you know that and um and i think what probably was the greatest influence was really meeting when i met john lombardo was having somebody that said hey you know i think i think we could do something with this like he he uh, liked my plane and you know we liked my voice it was very positive so um we just kind of went that route and i and i you know, just live in that kind of lifestyle just i evolved that way you know
0: yeah T- tell me about meeting him when did that happen
1: that happened in the late eighties. Um, I can remember there was a there's a bar in Buffalo called Nietzsche's, and there was this fellow named Dave, uh, what his name? Hold on. Michael Meldrum, and he would have these either Sunday or Saturday afternoons kind of hodgepodge shows where there'd be different kinds of people playing different kinds of musicians. And I was in a little string trio, rebel string trio. We were called the Lexington string trio. And then John was on the bill with this band he had, I think called the Billups. And that's after he heard me play, I heard him play and we just talked and became friends and, and started to, um, collaborate not long afterwards, you know, that was a lot of songwriting, um, credits under his belt already, you know, he wrote a lot of the early Maniac stuff on The Wishing Chair.
0: Right. Um, did, so was that the first time that you ever really collaborated with somebody on that type of music?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And so... And you know, when I think back on it, I, I actually went through this kind of phase where my senior year of college, I had don't warned people never to get incompletes and in independent studies. I had just Two credit, two, two classes I had to finish to get my degree. And um, I just said, you know what? I'm kind of burned out on all this. You know, like, I, I felt like I didn't know. I wanted to kind of figure out my identity a little bit more without music. So I actually just, I got, I, I applied to graduate schools. I got into, um, gosh, I got into Peabody. I got into Manhattan School of Music, St. Louis, I think Cincinnati. But I just said, you know what? I'm just going to move to Buffalo and and I and not play music. So I I didn't. I was I became a waitress, <laughs> and uh, just kind of wanted to explore, learn about life. You know, you know, I was young and you just want I wanted to just live life and not be um, obsessed about classical music. So,
0: right, you'd been doing that- it for since childhood, so you, you you needed a break from it. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, I think some people go through that, some people don't, but I did, and I think it was, that's sort of what steered me in a different path, because uh, that was, in, it was, before it was kind of a, and like probably like Detroit, you know, it's kind of a, a, kind of a hard-edged, you know, blue-collar city kind of thing, with, there's a lot of punks that were around, um, punk music, punk scene, and um, that was like the early, when was that? gosh I am trying to remember everything. This is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um but it was mid okay, mid eighties, let's just say that. And um so that was important that that I in my development and and also certainly meeting John it was just timing and we we started to I remember the first thing I played for him I had this I had this song that I'd learned on guitar in kind Iran that I'd heard from an Ian and Soviet album, and uh, I played it for him and sang. He goes, we got to write songs together, so that's what happened. And then we, within a year or less, we got a a deal with Ryko Disc, um, which was a label back
0: then. And and so that was the birth of John and Mary?
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: And so, how long were you two together before 10,000 Maniacs came along?
1: Well, let's see. Um, you know, we all we all kind of crossed paths because we had uh Robert Buck and Jerome Augustiniak play on our first two John and Mary CDs. We the first C D we did was called Um Victory Gardens. And we had them play on the CDs and then we did the second one was called Louis Killer's Daughter and we I think they played on some of them, some of the songs. Um uh, but we used music- different musicians. We had a lot. We had um we had, let's see, Augie Myers. We had Ronnie Lane from The Small Faces on that CD. We had Mary Margaret O'Hara, Alex Chilton. Um, these were people I was not familiar with, but John was. John was, he's like 11 years older than I am, and he was, he was sort of a, just a kind of an encyclopedia of, of of music, of uh, popular music, and... um. So that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, have all that's
1: happened because you know, because of having this, I've got a record deal and a little bit of a publishing deal, and
0: yeah, and especially yeah. after you know when you first moved to Buffalo, you were kind of like, oh, I want to take a break from music, and then you know, I mean, a couple of years later, you meet John, and then right after that, things take off, and and it really hasn't slowed down for you since. So um, yeah, so I mean, there you go. Um, I know. <laughs> And it's such a small scene too. Like I was I was shocked to learn I mean, I've known who you are since since I mean, Love Among the Ruins was released in ninety seven. Um yeah. and I've been a Goo Goo dolls fan for a, as long as I you know, I, I first learned about them when Iris came out, which was ninety eight. So uh yeah. and they're from Buffalo too, and, and you played on one of their records, Superstar Car Wash. So I I mean yeah. it, it's such a small world. Um
1: and I also played with Ani DeFranco too. I've played on some of her recordings. Uh, yeah, well, the Goo Goo Dolls. We, we we worked with John. I worked with this guy Armin Petrie, who worked with Goo Goo Dolls too, as a as a producer and a recording engineer. And um, actually, I, I think it was John John Resnick lived across the street from me, like in in Buffalo for a while. And um, and so yeah, when when I played on Superstar Car Wash, I think Armin had produced that one. It's hard to. And so they, he just suggested, "Why don't you have Mary come in and play a viola solo on there?" And then. Um, that's where that came from. And, um, and just recently I played with them at Darien Lake. They did a big show. Darien Lake is a, a big performance, outdoor performance area around here. And that was cool. Cause I'd never played that song with them live after all these years, you know?
0: Right. And that's, it's, we are the normal, right? That's a song that you're on.
1: Yeah. We are the normal. And I actually worked with John and this woman, Cassandra, um, what's her name right now? It's, uh, for this autism awareness um, uh, fundraiser thing. We, we we put out a single uh, called "Not So Different." I think it's Cassandra Kubinick, um, and I, I'm i I think that's it. Anyway, um, but we raised um, that the sale of that raised like I think twenty five thousand dollars for autism awareness. Um, to uh, well, there's a university here, Canisius College, that has a really good autism. Autism
0: program. Yeah, I remember. Oh. I remember seeing that. That was that wasn't that long ago. If, if, at least it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Um, it might have been the end of, of the last decade, which now would be ten years ago. Uh, but um, well, so
1: that t- happened like maybe three years ago.
0: Yeah, I didn't think it was that long because that was when I found out that you two knew each other, and I remember seeing the pictures of you two from the promotion uh, that you did. And I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) I didn't know that these, you know, this, this is not a connection I made. So that was when I first became aware of it. But um, yeah, so it's such a small world. And also, I mean, superstar car wash that was released in 93. And so that was, I know that you were on, you were, you were playing with 10,000 maniacs by then because you were on the uh, unplugged album that they released that year. Yeah. So, uh, so (laughs) how did that come about then?
1: Sorry. I want to
0: say, her, right, Cassandra Kubinski. I just, oh, that's the, the, there's a the lot woman of, with the autism awareness. Of... <laughs> yes, yeah. Um,
1: what did you, I'm sorry, what did you, what did you
0: saying? Oh, I just, I was just saying, so the, the, you, uh, you, Cassandra, what was her last name?
1: Kubinski.
0: Kubinski, you and there's John so Resnick did the autism Polish awareness. Down here. Thing. I can, yeah. Yes, Resnik itself, I mean, Resnik means butcher in Polish, so there you go. Um,
1: oh, wow.
0: Whoa. Um but uh the the question that I was asking was uh, cuz by then you had uh you were you were playing with 10,000 maniacs and you were on their uh their unplugged album which is the the their performance of because of the night those all over the radio that came from that and and a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering how how that came about specifically how did you end up I know you obviously John had something to do with it but um if you could just tell how you first yeah. started playing with them.
1: Well, let's see. It's this- when we, so John and I got together, we made Victory Gardens. Uh, yeah, it was like, it was like struggling between 89 and 1990, around there, that that they, were, that, um, they wanted to do a re-release, 10,000 Maniacs, Natalie um, wanted to re-release these, I think it was called the Hope Chest is what it ended up being. Um, they were old tape set of the recordings that they did at Fredonia State. With this guy Al Garzon, and they wanted to just put them out on their own because I think he was trying to sell them out of his car, like bootleg tapes. That's the story goes. Um, and so, you know, John had left the band in '85 or '6, and so um, I think what happened was Natalie called him up and said that we want to go down. We got to go to the recording studio because you know there was there were CDs, but that we were. I think what they had to do was take the old tapes and try to put them back together and master them and all that. Um, and he had been on a lot of these tunes; he had co-written them, and that's sort of what was that was the, the step in the door for for him back to be back, back part of the band. And then they decided to go on tour, and they so said, "Why don't you and Mary open for us on this Hope Chest tour?" And that was in like 1990, and that's how I got um, involved in singing background and playing strings. I said, well, why don't you play with us? And, and, and the, cause John was playing, we, John, John and I were opening for the group, but then John was playing with the group too, because he was like doing double duty. And then they said, well, would, would, why do bunch of Mary sing background and play strings? And that's what, how that all evolved. And, um, and then it, it, I just continued to do that as much as I could, you know, with the when I my schedule for the most part, I was there for the most of it. And then when they did the unplugged, I was part of that.
0: And so, and it, it was wasn't fun. long after that you that you became the lead singer. Then. hmm And and so, how did that happen? Because that's quite a, a a transition, you know. I mean, to to just kind of be associated with them, and then all of a sudden, hey, I, we want you to replace their singer, you know, who's leading.
1: Well, I would say so much of it has to do with the fact that, of my. This chemistry John and I have had together, had together as a duo, and also had the ability to write songs and lyrics. Um, because the majority of the lyrics were written by Natalie. Um, certainly, there are lots of chords that were you know chord chordal structures that were written by different people in the band Robert Buck and Dennis True, um, even Jerome Augustineac. That song "Girl on the Train," I. I think he wrote go oh, that's not, that's from a later C D but he wrote those chords. So um but I think that it was sort of an overwhelming idea when Natalie decided to leave and didn't do her, her own thing. Um, like who was gonna write all these lyrics? Who's gonna write how is this gonna work? And I think it was just this this sort of uh, natural progression and transition that well Mary and John have been with us and why don't we just try to make this work, you know, without making it too complicated? S-
0: Although simple it was enough, complicated. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I, right, right. And that's never, but, but I, I, it makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, you're already acclimated to the band, um, you'd been writing for yeah. some time at that point. And so you guys pretty much, I mean, Love Among the Ruins was released, I mean, not long after. It was maybe, I mean, well, there was about a, there was a little bit of a gap there, wasn't there? Because I know yeah. mm-hmm. Natalie left not long after the Unplugged album, and then Love Among the Ruins was 97. So you guys took your time writing that, or did you take a break? Or
1: Well, I think she left in 94 or something like that. I did a last year little European tour with her, I think maybe the last like Ten Thousand Maniac tours, me and Amanda Kramer who she tours with uh, psychedelic first. She's the keyboard she's the keyboard player. Um she played on a lot of the uh, on the unplugged. We went to, we did like maybe four or five cities in Europe and then I don't know if there was much more in terms of the representation of Ten Thousand Maniacs um with Natalie Merchant. And so it it took a while, you know, there was a lot of um Trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? And we got to deal with Captain Records, and that was with our old manager Peter Leek, who had managed the band with, you know, with Natalie. Um, but you know, it was there was a lot of you know uh, understandable skepticism, like, how is this going to work? Is it going to work? What are we doing? And I I think a lot of the strength was that. We were all we we were all from the same pretty much the same area. Uh, we all knew each other. We were connected that way. We were all mm, somewhat down to earth, I guess. Some of us, and um, <laughs> that's how that came about, I guess. You know.
0: And so the album came together, though, and it. I mean, you know, you guys. Uh, I do know that that rainy day and and then the, your cover of Roxy Music's more than this were were two songs that were that were added towards the end, um, but I mean, could you just tell us a little bit about the writing process and how how Love Among the Ruins came together?
1: Well, um, we would just we, I'm trying to remember how that album was done. I know that um, we had different chord ideas, we brought them in, and then we would just and time just kind of playing together trying to figure out parts and and I know John and I worked on lyrics a lot and then um yeah that's kind of where it came from that's that was that's how it, I mean it it took a bit of time and know, part of it was trying to get the sound working and back then that was that was sort of the end of the that golden era of getting advances from record labels to even just do pre-production work. Um, so, you know, it's kind of based on, like, the fact 10,000 Maniacs, really, their big record and CD and cassette album sales were really during the Natalie Merchant era, I would say. I mean, when, when Love Among the Ruins came out, we, we, we did have, more than this was, one, I think, one of the top-selling singles of the history of the band but it was also a time period when there was a, the beginning of the decline of cd sales because the computers were starting to come in and you know meaning you could get music on the computers mtv was shifting into more like reality shows all that stuff you right, know As right the whole, <laughs> the whole business changed so so much but then the, then honestly too that was it was a big transition because she was you know she was um quite Superstar in her own right, and it was and, and I, I, mean, I watched, I watched how people adored her, you know, and and she's such a unique, creative, beautiful woman. It was, I think, for me, it worked out because I had such a closeness with John and and and, and the band, and I and I just loved being able to sing, play, and write, and that, that's what I kind of focused on, you know, and yeah. travel.
0: And now, I mean, you've been with them longer than she was. I mean, I know you took a break in the two thousands there, um, yeah, but uh, yeah. I mean, you've been with them. You put in more years with Ten Thousand Maniacs than, than than she did. So, um, but so I can't. You but
1: you know, it's it's almost as if you know my parents are divorced, and um, I think about this, like you know, he, he. I shouldn't even say my family, but I'm. You know, you can say some. You could have a family that parents have. Four or five, six kids together, and then they get divorced and they get remarried, and yeah, that that's working. But that's still so significant, you know. That's it's it is really it's it's an interesting place where we are now because it's it's turned into this every, every year. It turns into something different, and it's it's kind of growing. And so it's a very that's a wonderful way where the, where the band is now, where we know each other, and um, and I don't know, it's a special
0: group. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's different families, like you said, you know, each, yeah. each entity is its own thing. But I mean, you know, bands have made the transition from one lead singer to another. Many of them, you know, you don't need me to list, you know, ACDC, oh, Van Halen and all of them. Um, and uh and the, both incarnations work and both incarnations yeah. have what have different things going for them. I mean, you know. I don't think yeah. if I don't think Natalie Merchant plays the the viola or the violin so that the solo on girl on a train never would have happened if you weren't in the in the band right. so you know and that's a beautiful right. that, solo so
1: True and that's that's the thing is like the I really just loved doing the string arrangements and string parts and and, and that having that um that experience to just create something that's comes you know comes out of who knows where sometimes like especially when playing my viola like this wow that I feel like I really connect with whatever the the muses are and um, and it's almost as if I think we all kind of shared the band certainly with John but we shared this kind of bohemian sensibility too that we just we want to do that we we don't want we don't want to work at, at, at you know uh, a desk, we want to do this, right? This right, we, you did. To do.
0: You had your waitressing years, so you know, those yeah, are behind well, you. Uh, I did
1: everything, I've done everything. I've been a census taker, I've been a maid, I've been a teacher too, which that's wonderful. I, I do that now. I love it.
0: Um, so I have, I have two more quick questions for Love Among the Ruins, and then we'll move on. Um, but uh, the first one is, uh, why did you guys pick uh, more than this? Because the, 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 I know that. From what I've read, the situation was that this this uh, the label wanted you guys to do a cover. And uh, so yeah. why, why did you guys pick that particular song?
1: Well, yeah, you're right about the, the label wanted us to do a cover because that was a history with the band that that, that, that really propelled them with um, the Springsteen, um, Patti Smith. Oh,
0: Because, because of, the night. of the night. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then they did Peace Train, Cat Stevens' Peace Train. Um, there were others, maybe one or two others. Um, I... I can't quite remember how it came about. I, I kind of feel like I'm the one because that was like Avalon was like this romance record in, in college and you put that on. It was kind of serial, romantic. Um, and I remember the first time we ever played it. It just happened and it worked. That's what was so neat. Um, and we had thought about doing... Like a Peter Gabriel cover or I remember other things. We tried like a Blondie song and, and then it's like, wow, this is working. And then we worked with this guy, Fred Maher, who produced that and Rainy Day. And he was so cool. And he was so um, open that I, that improvisation thing I do at the end, it was just, it just came out like he was he just like, yeah, do that. And then, then he, took my viola and put it through like the, the Leslie speaker. So it has a weird sound. Ooh, hold on.
0: Sorry. I'm
1: getting a, I'm getting a call and a
0: oh, on the other line. I know.
1: <laughs> it's one of my students, parents, they can wait. <laughs> um, but yeah, so really, um, that was a real special, uh, and, you know, it may have been Peter Leake, the, the manager we were working with. I, but I think it was me, too. I mean, I'm, it's horrible. <laughs> That's what happens when t- enough time goes by. That, um, yeah, yeah it, it, as I said, it was special. At work it worked. And it had such a cool factor. And that we, when the record label heard it, they said, oh, yeah, this is great.
0: Yeah, so it just came together. It was, just, it was obvious. It was like, this is the one that gelled first and easiest. Yeah. So we're just. Gonna yeah, without, really without it effort,
1: you know, because back then, I think. There was a sense that they wanted, if the band put out an album, they wanted to hit, a, have a hit or a single. Right. It would play, be radio friendly. And then if you got enough radio play, then you get your your video put on um, MTV. And then if you got enough video hits, then you could get on those talk shows. That would give even more exposure than get on the talk shows you could get on Saturday Night Live, which was, was like the ultimate.
0: Yeah, and you guys I remember you guys did play that on some talk shows. I remember I remember seeing that um yeah, we more did. than this. Uh the the other question I have is uh is um kind of random, but uh, I'm just wondering the the song girl on a train is my favorite song off of that album and oh. y- you mentioned uh the you wrote the lyrics or I mean if you didn't write the lyrics you can tell me but uh if do you know what what the, that song is about and like and like where that song came from. You said that uh, Jerome wrote the the music for it. Or the he wrote the chords
1: to that, yeah, on guitar. And um so John and I would used to sit around together to like figure out what, what do we want to write a song about. And John had this little book of like weird tales. And um even that from the same album there's a song called Green Children, and I don't know if it came from the same odd book about these odd almost like ghost story, almost like strange occurrences. And that was pretty much a story, like a, like, almost like a ghost story that we read together. And I said, wow, maybe we could write a song out of this. And so we did. You know, he and I said, let's check it out. Let's, that's how these things happen. And, um, and then it was in a different time. You know, that's in a, in a six, eight time. And we didn't really have any other song on the CD like that, which kind of makes it special.
0: Yeah, you kind of got the—I'm uh, not sure the the technical term for it—but the music sounds like a train, like you know, sort of. It's it's sort of like smooth and chugging along and and uh, yeah. propulsive and all that. Um, so yeah, that's uh, like I said, it's a uh, excellent song. The 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 solo that you do on it is is just spellbinding. Um, oh, thank but, you. Uh, Are
1: you a musician yourself? I,
0: I am. Yeah, that. I I I, I uh, yeah, <laughs> I play Mike. guitar and I sing.
1: All right. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. I love. I love hearing. When, I mean, I'm always encouraging people. Uh, you know, if they have ever played an instrument or sing or whatever, just do it. You just don't. Don't be shy. Just try to keep it in your life because it is really. I can't imagine not. I, I sing all the time. I mean, I, I have so many songs in my head. I I can drive. I, it's almost like word association. There's a song I can, I can remember commercials. I can you know. It's it can. <laughs> Yeah, my, no, it, my whole life is like a what is the operetta? You know, I could go. Oh, I love my. <laughs> I'm taking the, I'm taking the roast out of the oven. You know? um,
0: Sing the phone book, right? That old that old American yeah. Idol trope. Um, he, yeah, no, I always I always say like the goal is make it exist. You know, whether or not people listen to it is is you know I mean you know it depends, but uh, but doing it is is what's important so um.
1: right and that's certainly I have to say that was what John would say to me because like we, we toured a lot as a duo you know in the late 80s we'd drive around before GPS I don't know how we did it because I get carsick I can't I can't read a map and <laughs> and, and uh, I, mean, I can't I mean I'm not driving or reading a map he would be driving I'd be trying to read this map and I could I get carsick so we would always be lost and you know, in a city like Boston it was impossible I remember like taking just being somewhere else and, you know, getting totally lost.
0: But, um, yeah. Yeah. I can't even, I mean, I'm, I'm only 32 and I don't have any concept. I can't remember. GPS has been around as long as I've been driving. I don't know how the yeah. hell anybody ever got around without GPS. It's incredible. I know. If, if the system goes down, we're in trouble. I may not even be able to get to yeah. work. So, <laughs> Huh.
1: Yeah, it'll be a, a totally new uh awareness, I
0: guess. Yeah, it'll be back to the back to the 80s before it was widespread. Yeah. Um sure. So, I'll jump ahead a little bit here uh but um could you tell us about uh 'cause cuz I know you, you you took off uh you took a break from the uh the 10,000 Maniacs uh, in 2002 and uh, you ended up coming back in 2007 and um Yeah. but it,
1: you know, what I realized is I forgot to tell you the point where um, I was going to tell you, that's my mind trailed off, what I was just talking about touring around with John and being lost. But, but, but what I was going to say is one of the things that was so encouraging for me was that John was really very, um, he, he would say to me something like, we did a gig and there were only like five people or ten people showed up or whatever. You know, he played these little folk clubs or wherever we get a gig, you know, and you say, well, you know, if you reach one or two people out of five, that's, that's good. And then you, if you times that times to say you're, you have 50 people and you reach 20, you know, it's like, it's that sort of thing of just really believing in what you do. And for me, I, his belief was almost like an armor for my, me to believe too, you know, like having, having somebody that is supportive that way really, I think, Many. I mean, this is probably the history of the success of of groups, or, or just the success of, of one's own sense of self. Is just trying to just believe in yourself. And um, so, I that was not what I was going to say, but I forgot.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. I, I completely agree. Like the 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 whole thing that I said about making it exist, and you know, building an audience as a musician is a long and arduous process even with the internet today and being able to put yourself out there it takes yeah. way longer than it it's not just you put something out and it goes viral and then everybody flocks to you it even the people that that happens to probably were working on it for years
1: um yeah but, they're working on it for years and that's, and that's the reality is that there takes so many different things to make something work there's like there's it's i mean there is there is talent of course is that but then there's all those other things the talents of the other other stuff that makes stuff get off the ground like the shows work and there's a lot of it's it's a lot of different elements
0: yeah it's right place right time you know mm-hmm. um i mean heck if uh i mean the type of music that's blowing up right now like i could never i don't i'm actually at the point now where, where I'm listening to some of the stuff that's that's popular with teenagers, and I just I don't get it. Like I I wish I did, but um, but it just is a little. (laughs) I I can tell it's not for me. You know that's that's what it comes down to, and that's what people who you know in the you know during the alternative rock boom in the late '80s, early '90s, the older people, not all of them, but a lot of them were like, I just don't understand why this is so popular. Um, but that's that's the stock goes, and it'll continue to happen. Uh, as we go right forward. and then and
1: then it changes you can not like something at one point and then you hear it later and you you like it that's what's cool about art you can you can it's there and you can kind of always interpret it and when your perspective changes and when your perspective changes, and you start to have different experiences or you see it or you and Visual art, but also liking something you say, Oh, I would never like that, and then you go, oh, maybe it's not so bad, you know. Yeah, I, mean, it, I may never say that about. I mean, there's something that I can say. Some things that are super loud, I'll never like really because it's just I don't. It's just too much. <laughs> but I'm still love loud music, you know.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I had kind of a moment like that recently. Do you know who Post Malone is? You hear, you know, you ever heard of him?
1: No, but I, I'll look it up.
0: He's a he's a SoundCloud rapper. There's this, there's this like group of, it's they're not a, like a group as in like a band, but they're a, a bunch of different individuals that got popular uh, putting songs on SoundCloud. And he's probably, the as far as I know, the biggest one out of them. I'd never really listened to it. What I knew about it, like a couple of them have died of heroin overdoses now and one got shot and all these. Oh. So they're kind of the, the grunge, uh, uh, you know, Zoom for Generation Z. And uh yeah. I was watching a movie called uh into the spider verse recently and there's a song playing at one point in the movie, towards the beginning of the movie, and I, and I was really liking it. I was like it was very auto-tuned and it was very, you know, modern sounding, very computerized, but the melody was really pretty, the 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 lyrics were cool and, and it just had this really smooth kind of driving vibe to it. And uh it mm-hmm. was post Malone and I was like I was like, I didn't know that he sounded like that. I was expecting this way punkier, like, you know, I want to die rap yeah. kind of stuff. And it was actually this really pretty sounding song. Um, like I said, oh, wow. he- heavily computerized. That's- but so there you go. I mean, it's just like, you never know. I'd never thought I would like anything that guy did. And then it snuck right up on me. I remember my brother, yeah. the first time he heard Nirvana, was like, he. I was listening to Smells Like Teen Spirit, and he was like, that's Kurt Cobain? He, I was expecting like this loud... Has absolutely. He was expecting like a black flag type type sort of thing, and he's yeah, like, "This guy can yeah. actually really sing." So there you go. You never know.
1: know. You, you don't. You just don't. Um, and now, and, and then with the internet, that's what's so amazing about YouTube. And even like there are times on NPR, there'll be somebody that's a guest, and I don't really know them, but then I'll I'll look at them up, and then they'll, they'll connect you to other artists like that. So there's just so many places you can go and, and kind of learn about all these different people doing, doing stuff, you know? Yeah. And that band that you saw at the town ballroom, what was the name of that? Uh,
0: This day and age.
1: What kind of music is that?
0: They were popular in the mid two thousands. They released two albums um, and they were more of a, uh, I hate to use this word, but I guess they would have been considered kind of an emo band. But they were really—I mean, you should look him mm-hmm. up. The guy—I—I I had him on my it show was. last year, actually, almost a, exactly a year ago. Um, and uh, he, he has an absolutely beautiful voice, just this, just feathery, out. angelic voice. And it's the—the the music is very, you know, chimy guitars and—and and, um, they got some keyboards in there, yes. Yeah, so, and they're from Buffalo, so, um, so yeah, give him oh, a wow. listen. Oh wow! Yeah.
1: Gosh, well, I definitely will. Wow. Maybe I know. Maybe I know them this is that's embarrassing so, uh, there's just a lot of bands that that I don't know yeah <laughs> and no and familiar. i mean
0: i I do know that they've they've they split up in two thousand six I wanna say okay. and uh and then they the show that I saw last year actually it'll be it'll be two years ago this december um was a one off reunion show that they did um just because and I was like, if this is my only chance, they're one of my favorite bands. Uh, so I was like, if this is my only chance to see him, I got to make the trip. So I ended up going up and, uh, and checking him out. But yeah, so and, <laughs> um, Buffalo, you know, again, like Buffalo itself has just got a lot going on musically over oh, the years. It's just it, like it, Detroit. And so. it's, it's a,
1: cu- sorry. What
0: I said, said just like Detroit, you know, they both.
1: Well, yeah, it's a. I find it a cousin city of tri- Like even Buffalo, we're all like, you know, Rust Belt. It's like, we're the same kind of, kind of situation. I actually was just in Detroit. Um, uh, my, I, my, I had some, we went through Canada to go to. I had to go to Grand Rapids, Michigan, but um, then came down. And I'd never gone. I didn't realize you guys have the tunnel, which is so cool to Canada.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like,
1: under the water, I wish we had that because we have the Peace Bridge. We have a number. We have Peace Bridge and we have Rainbow Bridge. A few bridges into Canada, but it would be so neat to have like a tunnel. <laughs> and, yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, I much prefer and that, that was... to the to the. To, we have the Ambassador Bridge, and I much prefer the tunnel. <laughs>
1: Yeah, then aren't you? Uh, isn't there going to be Gordy Howe Bridge that's going to be built. They
0: are adding another bridge. Yeah, it's going to be a and named after uh, Gordy Howe, Mister Hockey, uh, legendary figure yeah. here in Detroit. Um, yeah, that was a very diplomatic naming of the bridge. That was a name that everybody could agree on. So <laughs> okay, but, wow, but yeah, so felt like pretty
1: happy about
0: that. Yeah, well, well, so we'll have three different ways to go for nineteen year olds to go into Canada, Canada and drink legally. So um,
1: yeah. But, uh, I know, but um, we, that's what I mean. We that's what we we I go to Canada a lot, so I know, I know about crossing the bridge and the, it's always, you know that that whole way of transport of always having to have your passport or your passport card. And, but it's great. I'm so I love living close to Canada. I, mean, I spend summers in Canada, and it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous area around Detroit
0: yeah yeah i've lived here my whole life and it's uh it's home man i uh I, yeah i don't all this fresh water too i you know that's that's a good thing yep. to have nowadays so um
1: <laughs> yeah it's good to be by the water but you asked me a question about 2007 uh, when i left
0: yeah uh, yeah i thinking of
1: water i ended up moving to california with somebody and um in 2000 and um and i was still doing maniac stuff but i was kind of like this thing where i again i felt like well you know what it was just this I wanted to do some other things, and I ended up doing, going back to, like, it's funny because when I was young, when I left college, I didn't play for a couple of years because I didn't want to be around classical, and then I ended up getting into classical music where I did what they call the Philharmonic Freeway. I, uh, a friend of mine who I, I'd, that trio I was in in Buffalo where I met John, um, my friend Richard, had lived out, and he was a reporter, but also a classical player, and he got me a Job with the Fresno Phil, and I drove. I lived in, in Santa Monica, California. But people—that's what they would do. You you go out and drive four hours to some Fresno, and and then be there for like five days, and then rehearse and then do two concerts. But that—that that was kind of like this nomadic thing, where because a lot of the the major cities um, already had the great players. They had the orchestras or whatever, they had their spot. So there were a lot of these other pickup orchestras and they wanted musicians. So I did a lot of driving around California. I had my little three and a half pound pickup Yorkshire Terry. She'd come with me <laughs> everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds nice. So. And you went back to your roots too, playing classical music. So
1: Yeah, yeah, it was good. And um, just really meeting a lot of interesting people, seeing a lot of great stuff. And, you know, working on some other projects. I just... John and I were still doing some – at that point, we were still doing some stuff. Um so in here and there. And then, then I got back into the Maniacs fold, so it, was, it worked out.
0: Yeah, and you guys have been busy since. I mean, you put out a couple albums. You put out a live album a couple years ago. Um, you're touring. You yes. just you, you just did – when I first talked to you about coming on the podcast, You you've been touring, and you had a sold-out show, the original date that I proposed to you for this. So, I mean – you guys are still yeah. We full just speed got up. Ahead.
1: Yeah, we got home on uh, Sunday. We did um, four sold out sold out shows in Chicago um, at City Winery, and then we did four. We did two sold out in Richmond, and then one in Alexandria, Virginia. There's a place called the Birchmere, which is a nice. Looks like a maybe five fifty seater, and then we played in um, Owings Mills, uh, Maryland, near Baltimore, and that was maybe 20 shy it was like 600 or something 20 shy sold out but that was pretty it's fun you know it was great but yeah we are, we do shows like that was probably the biggest block in a while that we've done i mean people go on the road all the time i don't really know how to do that i don't know if i could do that um this works the way we do it it works pretty well for us cuz we all have kind of different jobs and family and stuff and uh and we're going to florida next week <laughs> and we're all really
0: happy oh nice yeah I get a break from the from the winter
1: Yes, we're going to play in the Key uh, Key West. We're going there first, we're doing three shows in Florida.
0: Very nice. So I think a lot
1: of, you know, there are a lot of bands that tour all the time, and that's great. Um, but this has been working for us pretty well.
0: Yeah, I mean, you guys, you know, you've got your audience. So, you know, I mean, you've got your legacy that you've built up. And so now it's just sort of like you can go pretty much wherever you want, wherever wherever you want to play and just, you know. Do, do your thing.
1: And we have good, you know, management and all that The people working and the system, you know, there's our base player, Steve Gustafson. He's very, very, um, savvy with, um, social media. His son actually sells merchandise on the road. And, um, and Dennis, our Dennis true, um, our keyboard player, he, his son is on the road with us too. So we, you know, we've got the next generation and they're, they're having a great time and, and it's fun for the guys to be with their sons and um so it's uh it's a a nice group
0: yeah what do you have uh coming up soon because you've been you've been busy uh i mean not just with the maniacs but you've had very mary Ramsey and the healers and and uh you said you're teaching now as well Um, yeah
1: i've i've been doing i've been teaching for for quite a while but uh, i do private lessons of viol violin and beginning piano um yeah i right actually the thing i was working on it today i i'm i've been in a number of plays of this Irish classical theater. I've done um, some musical directing. I've done some composition and stuff like that. And, and the the musical director there, Vincent O'Neill, and I are putting out a CD. Um, it's um, on uh, W. B. Yates. He's Vincent uh, recites the poetry, and I've put some of the poetry to music. And I do kind of ambient viola violin stuff. They've got about thirty poems, and then we have this a fellow named Joe Hassett, who is a Yates scholar. He's just amazing. He's a lawyer in Washington, D.C., but he does a lot of, on the CD, he does a lot of kind of the, the behind-the-scenes what Yates was thinking when he was writing the poems and the, the, the kind of the um, timeline, because we start from like early Yates poems into his later life. So we just are going to be um, launching that. I think I'm going to do a, like a Kickstarter thing for that point in the next few days but we're going to have a concert in, in Buffalo uh, Maniacs and doing some of the poetry so that's my one project one of the projects um, and then I play a few different groups well, John and I have John and Mary in the Valkyries and we, it's sort of like it's somewhat like 10,000 meetings but it's also somewhat not because we do all our own tunes that we've written over the years together so it's fun to kind of have the different caps you know
0: yeah, yeah. And your stuff is more like traditional, like folky, like like European kind of kind of folk music, more so than Ten Thousand Maniacs. Ten Thousand Maniacs definitely has an influence with, with some of that I would say. The stuff, especially yeah. the stuff that you've done with them. But
1: uh And I think the John and Mary stuff may be a little quirkier and a little more like um it's just a certain there's a distinct kind of style. Um that the our John and Mary songwriting and the way we do things is a certain way and then 10,000 maniacs like, so the other influence but they they really do work together like i'm sure there are a lot of bands that have that kind of empatico thing going on
0: besides uh florida keys do you have a do the maniacs have any other uh uh shows coming up are you going to be in the detroit area anytime soon
1: well i don't i don't know you know i it's, um right now i don't think so we, we go we go to texas in april and we do Austin, Dallas, and Houston, and we're going to be in Milwaukee. We're going to be out west in um, Las Vegas. I guess you got to go to the website. <laughs> Sometimes I have to look at it to figure out where we're going next because I don't, you know, I don't know. But we have played around Detroit and in Michigan. We were in Midland, Michigan, about a year ago or so. That's oh wow! Of you.
0: Up in up in Midland. Up in the middle yeah. of the mountain.
1: <laughs> and it was one hot day. I tell you, uh,
0: yeah, it tends <laughs> to happen. Gets hot here. Gets yeah, out here. Yeah, the humidity too.
1: was uh, amazingly. It had rained really hard. It was one of those summer days where it rains hard, and then it doesn't cool off. It's humid and it's, it feels even hotter. You know, after the rain. Yeah. But I d- um, yeah, I hope you play there because it's a great state.
0: Yeah, there's a venue in Ann Arbor called the Arc that you guys would would fit in yes. with quite well. Have you played there before?
1: Yes, we have. I played with John, and I've played there as a duo, and I believe we played with Ten Thousand Maniacs there. Yeah, that would be great. As I said, it kind of it's wherever we have a, a booking agent and we have a, a manager. And it's kind of where the where it fits. Um, right. We're going to be playing with the Spin Doctors in Ocala after we do Key West. We're doing next week. We're doing that, and um, we're going to be in. Gosh, we'll be probably in Georgia. I we're gonna be around the country.' gonna be in um San Diego, I think too.
0: yeah, keeping busy, keeping busy. um yeah, so Mary, thanks so much for for doing this. This has been great talking with you and, well, uh, and you
1: too, Alex. and that's that sounds like a special uh, radio show you have here. Is it every Wednesday night?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's a part of a network. It's a little podcast studio that they have here. And it's, it's, I say little, it's, it's expanding quite, uh, quite rapidly. Um, but yeah, I just, I have my hour on Wednesday nights and I, I get to interview people. So I'm very, very thankful. And, and it's so cool. I was, I, I said before we went on there, I was like, you know, so many of these people, I, you, you know who they are for years and years. And then all of a sudden here, here they are and you get to talk to them and, and, you know, pick their brain about, the, the things that they made that had an influence on your life, and so I, I'm very thankful for that. Um, well,
1: yeah, and uh, you know, if you'd ever want to interview John or anybody else in the group, I'm sure they would oblige. You know, like to.
0: I will be. I will um, take you up on that 100. Um, I because will because I have touch. to say
1: we we are, we have a collective memory. <laughs> <laughs> we're almost like because sometimes like with John, I'll remember something, he won't remember something, and like when we, we're all together in the band, we, we kind of trigger off memories. Like, Oh yeah. I remember that. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah. I will 100% take you up on that. I will, I will be in yeah. touch. I, I book um a couple months out. Usually I'm booked until the middle of April now, but um yeah, I will, I will be emailing you on that for sure.
1: That's great. Well, thank you so much and good luck with your music endeavors and um and uh, yeah, we'll be in Detroit at some point. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I will look for it and I will, uh, I'll be there. I'll come say hi.
1: Well, and tell your mom thank you for her support.
0: Oh yeah, I will. I will. She gave me some <laughs> of the questions tonight. She used to be a reporter, so she wanted to. She oh, found out I was interviewing, and she's like, "I got questions. Let me. I'm going to email you some questions that I want to know." So, um, so oh, yeah, well, that's great. But, uh, awesome. but thanks a lot, Mary. So um, we'll uh, you know, uh, like I said, we'll see you out there, and, uh, and good luck with everything uh, yourself. And um, I will be I will be in touch, and we'll get uh, John and maybe some of the other guys on here too.
1: All right, all right. Well, you take care.
0: Yeah, you too. Have a good night.